0: A people, holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. This study is entitled, God's People. Who were they? What were they commanded? How does this apply to the church today? We welcome you each Lord's Day, or to subscribe, so that you may have these questions answered from the book of Deuteronomy. All right, good morning once again, everybody. Uh, Once again, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be before you guys uh, this week. Before we dive into reading all of chapter 13 of Deuteronomy, um, I want to kind of preface what we are going to be reading today and um and just the context of what we will be reading okay so we will be studying all of chapter 13 today there's only 18 verses not as large as our chapter last week um and there's going to be some things that we read here in this chapter uh that could cause you to fall into a ditch okay you all all know what i mean whenever i'm talking about falling into a ditch hank has been has been practicing driving their little four-wheeler here lately, and he's done an exceptional job, and like I told him from the beginning, as long as you're not in the ditch, we can still teach, okay? But if you're in the ditch, something bad happened, okay? So I just wanted to preface with that before we read the chapter, because there is going to be some language that with our 21st century American uh, pluralistic mentality, um, we are we are a product of the environment in which we are in, correct? So whenever it comes to harsh words, sometimes we kind of shrug or shriek back. And by doing that, we might miss the message of what's actually being communicated because we have been wrapped up in that which may have, may have pinged our ear. Does that make sense? So we don't want to fall into a ditch and ignore what's being said. When I was thinking about this passage also, Savannah and I were talking about how um, sometimes with your own kids, I told Savannah, I was like, I don't want anybody, I don't want anybody as we're reading this to think, oh, well, this doesn't actually have to do with us today because we're not at that time. We don't have the power of the sword. So this is kind of, you know, not really for us per se, When this is for us, we have to keep it in the right context. There are so many times that I'm trying to talk to Boone about something that's really, really important, and he is notorious for this. I'll say, Boone, look at me, okay? I'm right in front of him. He stares over here and says, I am. (laughs) He's not. He's not. He's not with me, okay? I need you, before we get here, to recognize that I know that what's being said here is not to be carried out verbatim for us in this fashion, but please do not miss the message that we have here this morning, okay? So the focus of today is the peril of idolatry, the peril of idolatry. So this is broken up into three different sections. We'll study all three different sections this morning, but in honor of the reading of God's Word, if you could stand up, we will go ahead and read Deuteronomy chapter 13. The end. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk you shall put away the evil from your midst. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is your own soul, secretly entices you, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers, of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you and far from you, from the end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people, And you shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as this among you. If you hear someone in one of your cities which the Lord your God has given you to dwell in, saying, Corrupt men have gone out and among you and have enticed the inhabitants of this city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, indeed true and certain, that such an abomination was committed against among you and shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it. All that is within it, and its livestock with the edge of the sword, and you shall gather all of its plunder to the middle of the street, and completely burn it, and burn the city, and all of its plunder for the Lord your for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever; it shall not be built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy. Have compassion on you and multiply you just as he has swore to your fathers. Because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that you bless this time. I pray that your word be illuminated for us, that we may be able to love you more and serve you more. God, I pray that our hearts be open to your word to receive it well. Lord, I pray for uh, those in this room who may not already have a relationship with you, but to see that what may be offensive to us with the language here is nothing in comparison to the offense that was committed against you to begin with. Lord, I pray that we be conformed more and more daily to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, who is our only hope. And is our only way. He is the only mediator. And I pray that we see Him through these scriptures today. Bless our time. Amen. Some hard language for us today. But as I just alluded to in our prayer, the language and the punishment may be harsh. But we must not miss that the offense that was committed is way more harsh and significant than the punishment that was bestowed as a result of. So, we don't need to be blinded by what's being said here. We don't need to to put off our shields and say that this doesn't have anything to do with us. It has everything to do with us. But we must first recognize that the church today, the church does not have the power of the sword. The church does not have the power of the sword. So I would be doing you a disservice if I read this scripture and I eisegeted it and made this exclusively about you and I. I have to read this scripture for what it is and what it means for that time and what it means for us today. What you're hearing today is not what Chris wants this to be, but merely what this is and what it means for us in our context today in America in 2022. So we don't have the power of the sword, but we're also not called to lay down the shield. We know what the shield, what the purpose of the shield is. The shield is here to defend against the enemy. So though we may not wield the literal sword, we do have the sword of truth that helps us put on the full armor of God in preparation for these spiritual battles, which take place, as you see, in three different components that we'll cover in the church, in the family, and in the community or the state or the nation or the city, whatever the context may be. We do not lay down the shield. To lay down your shield, if you know much, if you didn't know this about me, I'm a history teacher, which means I obviously love history. If you were to return for particular wars without your shield, (whistles) coward was your new label. You maintain your shield, you keep your shield. Things had really gotten out of hand if you dropped the shield and ran. Okay? We don't need to assume that because obviously we do not have the (coughs) sword, it's not our place. But we do have the shield and we should shield ourselves, our families, and our congregations to see his kingdom come. OK, we are called to do that time and time again. One thing that we must address before we get into uh, verses one through five is that if you read this section of verses, and it doesn't light at least some little bit of a fire underneath you to make sure that you're not guilty of what's being said here toward other people, that is something that we probably need to be in prayer about, okay? We should not be in constant terror that we're contradicting the Lord, obviously. If you belong to Him, you will know through the fruits. But if you read this, or if someone was to read this, and not see any problem here, anything that needs to be guarded or anything that needs to be shielded, it could potentially be that you've been sold a weak gospel. We live in a time where the gospel is watered down so much to be palatable to the masses rather than to be faithful to what God has to say about himself and what his son has to say about himself. So if we have a low view of God, if we have a low view of His Word, if we have a low view of His Son, if we have a low view of His teaching, we are way more likely to give ear in these three particular situations to the false teaching and be swayed to be moved away. So once again, I'll say it again. If we have a low view of God, if we have a low view of His Word, if we have a low view of His Son, and if we have a low view of their teaching, we are way more likely to give ear to the false teacher. Okay? Okay? Having a high Christology is paramount. One of the things that I'll always try to emphasize whenever I have an opportunity to speak is that without this, you have nothing. This is the strength to your bones. To be a follower of Christ and never open this, you are dying on the vine. And I will be the first to tell you that I had large seasons of life where I would open this out of obligation, but not out of further understanding. Opening this to jump through the hoop, to be quote unquote in compliance and in obedience, completely missing the fact that I was in a relationship, a marriage, a covenant with Christ where I get to read this It's not something that I do purely out of obligation. But if we're not in love with his word, we need to be praying to fall in love with his word. And the more we fall in love with his word, the more we're likely to be in it, studying it, knowing it. That way we are better equipped when these who come and speak false things, and they come, we can easily recognize what you're saying is not of God. But apart from his word, We could be swayed any which way. And we see it. We see it. But we also live in a time with a very pluralistic mentality that following God or following Christ or giving your life to Christ, dedicating your life to Christ, just doing or saying that in word makes God just tickled. Because you acknowledge his existence. When in reality, acknowledging him is something that even the demons do. We don't just acknowledge. We serve. We love. We obey that which he says. But if we bought the lie that simply following him is enough. And then recognizing that he is who he says he is is enough. Then gosh, we will be blown to and fro Every step of the way. Every step of the way. If our worship is weak, then we will be weak in the face of opposition. I've seen it time and time again, and I've seen it in my own life in the past. But it's like anything else. You and I, and everyone that we encounter, and everyone on this earth that God created, we will always defend that which we love. It doesn't matter what the tribe is. It doesn't matter what the ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what the language is. It doesn't even matter what the faith slash religious system is. Man, from his creation, will defend that which he loves. He will defend that which he loves. This scripture, Deuteronomy 13, is about defense, spiritual warfare, and the defense in but we'll always defend that which we love. And I assure you that when it comes to things that I am willing to defend, when it comes to hills that I am willing to die on, don't mess with my wife, don't mess with my kids, and don't blaspheme my Lord. Don't do it. I don't have a stomach for it. You asked me 10 years ago, I probably would have told you the I probably would have told you the same thing about don't blaspheme the Lord, but I probably wouldn't have spoke up when I saw it happen. What's the correlation? I was not submitting to him. I was not submitting to his word, but in name only. And as long as we continue to live as if following Christ is something that we do in name only and not in action as well. We will be quick to succumb to the three different situations of false teachings in our midst. There is no greater strength that mankind can have than a full submission to the one true and living God. It will put steel in your spine. I love the way that Paul Washer had put it in a sermon I listened to a long, long time ago. He said, you say to me that you are the runt of the litter. That's great. God will use you as you are. He wants the runt. And if we're all honest, we're all the runt. We are all the runt. But he wants you, and he will use you. So let's dive into the three different sections here, okay? So, if you're following along with your bulletin, I know that mom likes to fill in the blanks, okay? Number one, this section Verses 1 through 5 is focusing on the church itself. So this is false teaching, the peril of idolatry through a false teacher. Through a false teacher. So if someone arises among you, a prophet or a dreamer or dreams and gives to you a sign or a wonder, and that sign or that wonder comes to pass, of which he has spoke. Let me stop there before I even get to the next part. If the sign or the wonder that they have spoken comes to pass, This is something that we need to wrestle with. Is it possible for a false teacher to give a literal sign or wonder? You read in verse 3, the answer is yes. Yep. Absolutely possible. So let's continue on. So this comes to pass. Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. And then we hear... You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is using that sign, is using that wonder to test whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Yes, it is possible that the Lord could use their sign or their wonder as a means of refining as a means of sifting, as a means of purifying and seeing what is actually there. And what an awesome blessing and gift of grace that He has bestowed in His Word. I might do this to you. I might do this to you. He's not silent on it. He tells you, if this happens, it's me testing I am the one who granted that power to begin with and I will be glorified through it. Either through your obedience or your disobedience, I'll be glorified and it will be revealed. And if you go and you are swayed, maybe it leads to a point of brokenness to where you run back to me in the end. Don't get hung up Don't beat yourself up perpetually if you have been duped in the past. If you have been duped and you have repented, glory be to God. So from verses 1, 2, and 3, one of the primary things that needs to be gleaned out of here is that if this person comes, if this person does this wonderful thing, does this sign, you walk away and you don't understand how they were able to do that, you don't follow them. You don't follow any false teacher if the result of their teaching ever leads the individual away from the chief end of man. God's standard trumps Any bit of miraculous thing that you can see. The miraculous event does not supersede the truth of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we always have to be aware of that. Going in, okay? Going in, we have to see what are they teaching here? And is this pointing to Christ? Now, let me pause here just for a second, okay? Savannah taught me this this phrase, whatever you want to say. She's making a cringy face because she doesn't know where I'm going here. She's thinking, please use it correctly if you're saying it was me. So Savannah had told me a while back about the term, I guess you could say, of linguistic theft. And I feel like I bring up linguistic theft like every two months now in conversations. And linguistic theft is the stealing of the definition of a word. Okay? So the false teacher signs and wonders, miraculous things, proclaiming the name of Christ— They would have to at least be proclaiming the name of Christ, I hope, for you to at least give ear to begin with, right? They do all of these things. They say Christ. They say the gospel. They say God. They say sin. They say salvation. But what do they mean? What is the gospel? What is salvation? What is healing? What do you mean? definitions always matter. Think about how crazy it is that we live in a time I don't know if you've thought about this. You probably have because you're more intelligent than I. We have to say in particular conversations, we've heard people say that I go to a Bible-believing church. Why should we have to preface that? Because the sad reality is that there are not Bible-believing churches, right? Or you've maybe heard before, well, I'm a pro-life Christian. To which I say, well, duh. Yeah, I kind of assumed that when you said you followed Christ. The changing of terminology matters. Linguistic theft is here, it's now, it's the subtleties. I'm on your team, but. I'm on your team, but. And this also comes up as well in the church, in the family, in the community. All three of these, linguistic theft plays a role in all of them. Obedience to God's word, you may be labeled as being un- Christian. Terminology matters. Definitions matter. So where do we go? Do we go to dictionary.com? Do we go to our Websters? We go to the Word of God and what it has to say about all of these things, all of these things, and no matter what the wonder, no matter what the work is that the person does, if it leads you away from the chief end of man, which is to glorify God and enjoy Him all of your days, then run. Defend, fight, do whatever you have to do to make sure that you are not receiving that, giving heed to that, allowing that to permeate your understanding and twist your understanding of God's truth. But once again, it all goes back to the beginning. If we don't know what this says, then we don't know whether or not we are being duped to begin with. We do have training that does equip us in this area. If you read in verse 4, it says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. There's our antidote. How are we equipped? How can we defend? How can we be aware? We hold fast to him. We walk with the Lord, we obey His voice, we serve Him, and we hold fast to Him. One of my favorite worship songs, I guess you could say worship songs, is is maybe, I guess it's a hymn. He Will Hold Me Fast. If you don't know that song, I highly recommend that you look up the song, He Will Hold Me Fast. And when we realize, and those of us who do realize that our total dependence is upon Him, that we're walking in obedience to His voice, we are seeking to be in the streams of His grace. We don't have the stomach for the false teacher. How can we give heed to another teaching when we've already fallen in love with the Father of truth? Our covenant is a marriage. Our covenant is a marriage. I'm committed to her. I'm committed to her so deeply I I don't need anything else. Our commitment to Christ, our commitment to God so deeply permeating the decisions that we make on a daily basis when we rise up, when we lie down, and when we go along the way, and people see Christ in our action, and we're so enthralled with Him, don't get me wrong, we will fall, we will stumble, we will ask for repentance we ask for repentance not out of obligation, but because of sorrow and grief and mourning for what we did to the one that we were committed to. We can't have a stomach for it. We can't tolerate it. So verse 5 talks about the punishment of what is to be done. Now, we can't listen to that part and then shut down and say, well, but we're not going to do that, so this doesn't have anything to do with us. You're right. We're not going to put the false teacher to death. We're not going to, to, we don't have the authority to carry out what is being said here. But once again, it doesn't mean that we leave the door wide open. Okay? We don't leave the door wide open. Our punishment may differ, but if left unpunished, if we don't call out the false teacher, if we don't rebuke them publicly, then all we're doing is emboldening the other wolves. They see that you're not willing to put up a fight. Think of the false teachers of our day. They know the appetites of man. They know the desires of man. They know that which will sell. And unfortunately, the church has sat on their hands for so long that there are so many. And now we're getting to the point that it's so saturated that those who are the false teachers are now saying that the real followers of Jesus Christ, those... Those are your wolves. We're the shepherds. We're the shepherds. And the way that Matthew Henry put it is that by not rebuking, by not calling out, by not being even offended by the blaspheming of God's word, this teaching will spread like gangrene. It will spread like gangrene if you let it. And unfortunately, uh, we've seen this before, Um, but we can't permit it. I'll end this section with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, oh, man, I don't have time today, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you've never studied him, I highly recommend that you do. But Bonhoeffer had said uh, while he was living through persecution during World War II in Germany, he said, Not to act in the face of evil, inactivity in the face of evil, is itself evil. Not to act is to act, not to speak is to speak. So our inactivity is a decision to take an action. We've decided that it wasn't worth it. We've decided that it wasn't worth it, and I hope that you see in this next section that when we determine that something isn't worth it, it begins to snowball over time. So that was focused on the church and the false prophet. Point two, the family and the blank there would be through a family member. Through a family member. This part is even more gut-wrenching because it's talking about those who are the nearest and dearest to us, either by choice or by God's creative order. Our friends or our family. If your brother or your son or your mother or you're the son of your daughter or your wife of your bosom or the friend who is as your own soul secretly entices you saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers of the God of the people which are all around you, near to you and far from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, but you, nor shall you spare him or conceal him. This warning is here is because you and I both know that when it comes to capitulation, it is easiest to capitulate around those whom we love because we love them so much that we don't want to hurt them. We do not want to offend them. We do not want to displease them. We don't want awkwardness. We don't want discomfort. We don't want any of these things, but please understand that all of those things that I just named are all temporary. They hurt, but they are temporary. All of that is temporary. We love our families. There's a term that I've, that I've learned uh from studying Paul's letters, the term is, is splankna, okay? Yes, I'm talking about splankna, all right? So your splankna is the innermost part of you as a person. So we say that we love somebody with all of our heart, which is kind of a, a Greco-Roman type of terminology, but the splankna is the innermost part of your being, okay? Have you ever felt just just so attached to something or someone that you feel it in your stomach when something happens to them? It's like from the pit of your very being, you're bothered, you're troubled. That is what it means to love someone from the splankna. You can't help it. You're so emotionally drawn and attached to them, either by decision or by creation once again. So when you read this and they come to you and they come to you in private, you want to say, no, 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 no. I can't do this. I can't obey this. I love them. I love them. I believe you. And once again, we don't carry out the act of the sword, but it may be that the sword is ever enticed because we cannot keep ourselves from submitting to that which they are telling us that we should believe. And that they're so convincing to pull us toward the gods that they wish for us to serve. They may not recognize it at the time, but by doing that, that is more unloving than anything to try to pull you from the God that created both of you. The fact that both of you are even catching air to talk in that conversation is by His grace and His grace alone, and to deny Him in those situations, or to lay down and say, you know what? You're right. You're right. I will submit to that which you say because our relationship is worth more to me than the truth of God's word. When in reality, that relationship is temporary, but both of your souls are eternal. Both of your souls are eternal. And this does not mean that you're waving this around in their face aggressively. You and I both know that that's not what we actually do. We don't do that. Those in our midst who may may disagree with us believe that that's what we do, but we don't do this as a battering ram. We do this extending a hand to pull you from the cliff that you don't even realize that you're hanging off of. We've all, myself included, we've all had those opportunities to witness with someone, and the opportunity comes, and then we say to ourselves, I can't because... Fill in the blank. I can't because their worldview is this. I can't because they won't talk to me again. I can't because then I'll sever that relationship. I can't because you know them better than I know them. And I know my own situations better than you know your situations. But to never speak is a travesty. It's a travesty. You know what they will receive. You know how to speak to them? Way, but I can't. I can't tell you word for word verbatim. There is no simple formula, other than to be obedient to God, as it says here. But one thing that really, I guess, I guess over the last couple of years that has kind of uh, dramatically changed my way of perceiving myself as a husband and as a father, and just as a man in general, is. As Americans and in our time, we are so wrapped up, post-industrial revolution stuff. I'm not going to get into all of it. We're so wrapped up that we think weekend to weekend a lot of people, okay? Our, Our mindset of the future is the next season or the next holiday or the next weekend, okay? Rather than thinking covenantally, And recognizing that God is in control of everything. There is no rogue molecule. And that you can love generations that you'll never meet. I and my whole family back there have been impacted by the decisions of our family members from years prior. Okay? I grew up in Whitesville, Kentucky, because Claude Hamilton decided one day, we're not going to live in Owensboro anymore. We're moving out to Whitesville. Hasn't that impacted everything in my life since? Yes. Savannah and I got married. We moved out to Hardensburg, Kentucky. Isn't that impacting my children? And this is just geographic location. Think about how much larger it is to stand firm on the truth of God's word and your conversations your children, your offspring, your nieces, your nephews, your own spouse. Our children will worship that which we worship. Or they will reject what we worship and go in the opposite direction if they don't fall in love with that which is good, true, and beautiful, which hopefully is what we're worshiping to begin with. But they will worship what we worship. And if they see that we are infatuated in love with the one true and living God— And you look around and you see the miserable world who is chasing after everything and not satisfied by anything. Those conversations should be happening on the daily. And as mentioned before, don't perpetually beat yourself up if you didn't do these things in the past. I could perpetually beat myself up over years of not being obedient to God's word and say, I'd be this much further ahead. I'd be right. I would be this much further ahead, but I can't stay there. The best time to plant a fruit tree, do you know when it was? 20 years ago. When's the second best time? Today. Today. Don't beat yourself up over all of that. Just start walking. Put your hand to the plow. Think covenantally. You can love people that you're never going to meet by speaking truth to the ones that you do see today. That's what this is saying. Speak it. Speak it. God warns us of this because He knows our own propensity to succumb to the ways of our friends and put friendship before faithfulness. And it's so easy for us to be swayed by those who we love the most. But it's all temporal. Not that it doesn't matter, it matters. But it's all temporal. But speaking His truth is eternal. I'm going to go ahead and move into our last section here, starting in verse 12. If you hear someone in one of your cities, which the Lord your God has given to you to dwell in, saying, Corrupt men have gone out from among you and have enticed you, or have enticed the inhabitants of that city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall utterly strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it. And it goes on to say destroying the livestock, taking everything of value, putting it in the city square and burning it all not to walk away with any plunder. Because to walk away with any plunder, someone could say you did this for your own gain when in reality that should not even be a thought in anyone's mind. They should recognize and see that situation And be broken over it, but broken over the fact that no one had stepped up to squash this before it engulfed the whole city. If the warning was heeded within the church, if the warning was heated within the family, it wouldn't even get to the community level is what we're seeing here, correct? Don't walk away with a thing. But remorse what took place. Don't build there. Don't have anything to do with what was there. Be obedient in the first two. Don't have any part of that. I meant to say one more thing when it came to the passage passage before related to the family. When it says to stone that individual, it's hard to read that. It's even harder to read that the command here is that when that stoning is done, That the one who is the closest to them that is making the accusation of what they have said, they are the one that is to cast the stone. Because at that time, in this situation, their law was, if you're going to bring up this accusation, you can't bring it up and then walk away as if you have nothing to do with it. If you bring it up, you see it to fruition all the way to the point to where you're the first one to pick up the stone. You have skin in the game. It can't be overlooked. It's hard to read. It's hard to see. Anyways, going to point three, focusing on the community. This is idolatry through the neighbor, through the neighbor, through the community, through the city, through whatever you want to put in there. It is all the same context. I know that being 30 is not very old. I know that. But I like being 30 because then I'm not in my 20s anymore. This is all going to make sense here in just a minute, okay? When you're 29, people still are like, oh, Chris, he's in his 20s. Yes. You are obviously still in your 20s when you're 29. When you're 30, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Like, I feel like I'm able to speak more in conversations about things because I have a horrible memory, but I remember being 15, Okay? Now I'm double that, in a 15 year gap, you and I both know that you can see a lot of things change and take place in 15 years, right? Think about it, this happens to be 2022 somehow, okay? Well, I clearly remember the year 2000, and I assure you, and you know this as well, 2000 is not 2022 in any way, shape, or form, right? History happens over time, but history happens rapidly as well, okay? I bring all of that up because when we're reading this part right here, you may think, we may think, we may read this and say, well, this kind of took a long time to happen to this community. It came on like that. One generation could have been it. We read in Scripture. We won't be there this morning, but we read in Scripture. One generation, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. So being 30, I'm kind of at that age where I'm starting to notice and recognize trends. I remember when I first began in youth ministry at 20 years old, I remember some of these kids that we had, I remember that whenever they would come to youth, it was just something to do. Their parents were disengaged. Their parents we running and worshiping other things other than the one true and living God. So this was just in addition to these children's lives. I'm glad they were there. Witness to them. Don't twist what I'm saying here. But they had no structure beyond that Wednesday night pointing that, hey, what we're talking about here is the most important thing that we could talk about. And then I had others that I knew all through the week their parents We're sitting there, worshiping with them, singing with them, reading scripture, and teaching them the foundational truths of God's word. That's been 10 years ago. Those are not little kids anymore. I work with some of them now. I see some of them in the community. They have children of their own. And I see now, at 30, that which they have decided to worship. And by God's grace, he works through families. He works through the obedience of the parents. He blesses them and I'm seeing fruitful marriages as a result and it is great it is glorious to see. And I'm also seeing broken dysfunction because at the surface it looked like it all it was all fine. In the community, it just takes just a blink of an eye for it to change and for the narrative to change. And once again, it all goes back to terminology again. What is Christian? What is not Christian? So when it says corrupt men here, corrupt men have gone out from among you and have enticed inhabitants. This is saying satanic men. This is saying thoroughly disturbed men have seduced you and have pulled you away from the one true and living God, and you didn't stop them. And you didn't stop them as you were commanded to do. But it is worth noting that if the city was to repent, and they legitimately repented, restoration could take place. But if they did not, and they decided to uphold their own worldview, they would be utterly decimated. We are living in a time when rather than being asked to repent to the one true and living God, our culture would rather see us and desire for us and commands and demands for us to repent to them. Ask us for forgiveness for your ridiculous ways. Ask us for forgiveness because you are out of step with that which we have determined to be the truth. Ask us for forgiveness and submit to the ways in which we say are to be tolerated or not tolerated. And I will say to you, whom will we bend the knee to? Whom will we bend the knee to? Whom will we submit to? Will we submit to the culture? Will we submit to the friend? Will we submit to the false teacher? Or will we recognize that it is true that we serve a one true and living God and you can't serve him halfway? He will not play second fiddle. He does not want you lukewarm. He does not want any of us lukewarm. To do all of this here, to be able to obey this here, we have to recognize that we are not here as a people of all power and all authority. It's not like the false teacher may tell you. We are not here to unlock some potential within inside of ourselves. Our gospel is way more powerful than unlocking anything that is inside of me. Anything that could be inside of me. To do this, we must recognize that we are walking as pilgrims, but obedient pilgrims who are strengthened by the one true and living God. We will be and are misunderstood. We will be and we are maligned. We will be and we are mocked. And we will be And we are marginalized. But we will be glorified if we walk in obedience to him. The glorification that he bestows is far greater than any glory that we could ever get from mankind here right now. We have to sink our heels in. We have to say we're taking a stand and these are our heels. Once again, like I said last week, we have to burn the boats and commit. And I'm so thankful to know that there are countless brothers and sisters in this church, in this community, and in this country and around the globe that have bent the knee to Christ and that we will be rewarded for that. The punishment that instead that we're supposed to give for the false teacher in this first section here, ironically enough, is the punishment that was given to our perfect Savior. The punishment that that, that they are supposed to give to the false teacher was given to the, the, the teacher of truth. And keep that in mind. When Paul, on the road to Damascus, plotted to murder and kill even more Christians, he believed wholeheartedly that he was in obedience here. But through the work of the Holy Spirit and God's good grace, he was knocked to the ground to be blinded so that he could one day see that he was in error. So if we do not we do not find ourselves in a position today where we have bent the knee to the one true and living God my prayer is that we bend the knee to him that we submit to him and that we glorify him in all of our days of being his word by walking steadfast with him and holding fast and knowing that no matter what the world can throw our way he will hold us through it let's pray thank you so much for your word thank you for the timeless truths that you have bestowed God I'm so thankful for this church family I'm so thankful for the way that they're organizing hope in the home you have just opened my eyes to how many faithful brothers and sisters there are around us. There are so there are more of us than, than we may realize at times. Because it seems like we're alone, but we are never alone. Lord, I pray that you continue to equip us to serve our neighbors in love so that they may see you through us, but not only to see you through us in our actions, but God that they see us in. Living it out, and they hear our voices proclaiming your truths, Lord. I pray that in the times when we err, in the times when we blaspheme you unbeknowingly, that we repent of it, that we openly repent. God, I pray that when we sin against our families, against our co workers, against anyone that we encounter, Lord, give us the boldness to ask for forgiveness. And God, I also pray that you protect me through this role of teaching. I pray that you bless this church. And Lord, we pray that your name be proclaimed through all of the nations and we be faithful in the small things because we know that you achieve great things when we do. And it's in your name I pray all of these things. Amen. God, thank you for listening to new life baptist preaching we hope that you join us next week for more in this study in deuteronomy on god's people